Good morning, Journey. Awesome to see everyone. And as always, it's just an incredible honor and privilege to get to be with what feels like family to me and talk about things that matter. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb right away, and I'm going to make some assumptions. And my, my parents told me growing up, never assume, uh, never make assumptions, uh, but I'm going to make one today. And this is the assumption that I'm making. You want to make a difference with your life. You want your life to make the difference in the lives of people around you. You want there to be some kind of impact from the fact that you lived here and breathed and lived on this earth. You don't want to get to the very end of your life and look back and say, I didn't influence anyone. I didn't make a difference in the lives of people around me. I would imagine that every person would want to look back and say, I made an impact. And I think if you are here today and you're a follower of Christ, you realize that there's a big story that is a big drama that's being played out in the world is God is bringing people back into a, a relationship with him. And you're asking yourself, what is my part in that story? Just like that video said, what is my mission here? But there's a nagging question sometimes in the back of our mind, am I living out all that God wants me to do? Is there more? Is there something that's missing? And it was interesting this last week, I had a conversation with Derry, one of our pastors around here at Journey. And if you've been coming throughout the summer, uh, over the last three weeks or so, Derry has been unpacking this idea of how do we increase our capacity for doing good in the lives of people around us. And Derry's been in the church world and preaching and teaching and involved in this for a lot of years. There's a lot of wisdom there. And when I was talking with him about that series, he said, never before has there been more response from people than that three messages that he gave. It just resonated in people's hearts. So, I'm, I mean, if he's someone that's been in the game this long, I just said, what do you think the reason was? What was unique about that? And his answer was this. People have a sense that they were made for more. We understand that we have this latent capacity in us to make an influence in the lives of others. And we want desperately to live our life to the full. We don't want to leave any chips left on the table. We want to live our life to the full. Friends, if there was ever a life that was a life of impact, a life that made a difference, it was the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about it. This was a man, God in the flesh, so be it, but that never went to college. He never wrote a book. He never had any worldly wealth to speak of. He traveled very little only within about 100 miles of his hometown throughout his entire life. His ministry only lasted about three years. But 2,000 years later, this movement, this spiritual movement that he launched continues to sweep the world today and continues to change lives and make the difference in one life after another, after another, after another. And here's what's exciting, friends. If you are here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he invites you into that life with him. He invites you into that impact with him. He invites you into that mission with him. And so there's a question that we want to unpack over this next three weeks, and that's what made his life such a life of impact? 
And what we're going to look at in the next three weeks is we're going to look at the relationships of Jesus. The relationships in his life that led to a life of impact. Today we're going to talk about his relationship with the Father. We're going to see so much that it was that time with the Father that led to him having such an impact in the lives of others. And then next week, Derry's going to talk to us about the inward relationships of Jesus. His relationships with the family of God. Because what we see in the life of Jesus is that he spent most of his time pouring into his followers that he knew were going to carry on his mission and his message long after he was gone. And then we're also going to talk about Jesus' relationships with those outside the kingdom. And Chris Townley in a couple of weeks is going to talk about that. These people that at this point are outside of God's kingdom, but he desperately, Jesus desperately wants them to be inside of his kingdom and in relationship with him. It's these relationships that made Jesus' life a life of impact. And we're going to talk today, like I said, we're going to talk about that idea of Jesus' relationship with the Father. Because what we're going to look at is that Jesus' impact in the lives of others came out of his time with the Father. Jesus showed us, God with skin on, he showed us what it looked like to live a life surrendered to the will of the Father. And we're, when we just look across the the landscape of the gospels and we see the life of Jesus, we see that regularly and intimately he spent significant time in the presence of the Father. It wasn't just about ministry to people for Jesus. It was about connecting with the Father. In Luke chapter five, we see this. It says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. You could just see that ministry was continually coming to Jesus' life. Opportunity after opportunity to do ministry, to make a difference in the lives of people. But there was more to it than just that. We see this but right there. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If you watch the life of Jesus, that was the rhythm and the flow of his life. He would spend time engaging with the Father, praying to the Father, hearing from the voice of the Father. And it was when he had heard from him that he did what the Father asked him to do. And that's the model that he gives for us. We see that same thing in another place in Scripture where Jesus is actually being confronted by the Jews because at this point they're seeing him do things on the Sabbath and he's breaking the Sabbath laws. And they're thinking, how can this guy be from God if he's not obeying the law of God? And here's what Jesus had to say in response to that. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. That's the model that Jesus gave us. I don't do anything that I don't see the Father doing. I spend time with him. I pray to him. I hear from him. And whatever it is that I see him doing, whatever it is that I hear him asking me to do, I respond in obedience. That is a life of impact. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do, that we would also live that kind of rhythm and flow in our life, that we would spend time with the Father. And out of that time with him, we would know what it is that God is asking us to do. Because we see that Jesus continually, he got his marching orders for life from the Father. 
the question that we've got to ask ourselves, let's just take a little bit and step back and evaluate our own life. Who, who's giving us our marching orders in life? Who is calling the shots in our life? Who is our boss? Because what I know is true of every person in this room is that continually you've got opportunities and decisions coming at you just like crazy in life. Who is helping you process those decisions and those opportunities in your life? Is this something that you are regularly hearing and responding to God? Or is this something that you are just out on your own? I'm kind of riding this one solo by myself. And now for some people, I think they might be at the place where they're, they're not really involving God in these decisions and opportunities because they just don't really care, honestly, what God has to say about these things. I don't really care what God has to think. I just kind of want to do my thing, and I'm going to do my thing my way. But for some people, I think we, we've just never really developed the skills. We've just never really developed. How do we get that rhythm and flow in our own life? What is it like for us to hear the voice of God? How do we know what is the voice of God? How do we know what are his promptings in life that we can respond to them? And here's the problem in life, is that we don't always know what is best for us when these opportunities and decisions are coming our way. We just don't always know what's best for us. Just think a little bit, just really quickly, over the history of your life. Have you ever had one of those decisions where in your heart and in your mind, you just knew that this decision was gonna bring happiness to your life. It was gonna bring fulfillment to your life. It was gonna bring meaning and purpose to your life. And you were absolutely convinced it was gonna make you happy and make your life better. You were gonna date that girl. You were gonna marry that guy. You were gonna take that job. You are gonna make that move. You are gonna change that major. Whatever it was. But then was, as time went on and you started to live out the consequences of that decision and you look back and you began to see that was not a good decision at all. That was a huge mistake. Every one of us in that, this room, if you've lived long enough, you've got some of those on your report card. And what we've just admitted to ourselves is we don't always know what's best for us. We may think that we know what's best for us, but we don't. What we need to embrace and understand is that there is someone that does know always what is best for us. And if there's one thing that I would just want for you to grab a hold of, one truth that you would walk out of these doors tonight with or this morning with and say, I'm believing this, it's this truth that God's plan for you is better than your plan for you. Let me say it again. God's plan for you, friends, is better than your plan for you. And the truth is, is we've got to come to the place where we actually believe in our heart of hearts that the God of the universe has a plan for us. Not, not a plan for people in general, but a plan for you specifically that he wants to unfold before you. This is how the Bible talks about this plan that God is talking about. It says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the big idea of what Paul is saying there in the book of Ephesians. He's saying you are fashioned by God. You are made by him. Just picture that the hands of God chiseling your life, chiseling who you are out of his stone. He's got the hammer and the chisel and he's making you. You are his workmanship. 
the work of his hands. All the gifts that you have, the talents that you have, the personality that you have, those tiny little idiosyncrasies about you that some people think are cute and some people just drives them crazy. All those things, all those things are made by God. He made you. You're his workmanship. And you know, friends, God doesn't make junk. God does not make junk. In fact, the God of the universe, right where you sit, and again, I'm not talking about just people in general, but you specifically, God knows you. God knows everything about you. He knows those hurts that are in the deep places in you, those pains. He knows your hopes, your dreams, your joys. There's not one thing about you that he doesn't know. He loves you and he wants to work in your life. Not only does he want to work in your life, he wants to work through your life and to speak into your life. And when we talk about this mission of God, this unfolding plan that God has been doing, there's a contribution to that mission that only you can make. And that's why I love that video. What is my mission here? What is my mission here? There is a mission that God has uniquely designed for you to fulfill. The only question is, am I gonna do it? Am I gonna follow through on what God is asking me to do? Am I gonna be a part of his plan? And friends, God's plan for you absolutely 100% is better than your plan for you. Well, let's just assume for a minute, whether you believe it or not, that God does actually have this plan for you that he wants to work out through your life. Wouldn't it be just awesome if God, when we became a follower of him, when we bowed our knee to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords, and we made Jesus King of our life, and we gave God the keys to our life, and said, you can do with our life whatever you want, if he would hand us back that plan for our life, that it would come in the form of a blueprint or a roadmap that we could just unfurl and we could just look at it from beginning to end. Okay, here I am, I see here, this is where I need to be. I wanna watch this road all the way from here to here. I wanna just follow the plan exactly. Wouldn't it be so helpful if our God was so kind to do that for us? Why wouldn't he do that for us? I tell you what I believe. I don't think God is so concerned about the precision of you following a plan as he is about you following him. Because that blueprint, that map, it wouldn't make for dependent people. And everything that God wants to do in your life and through your life, he wants to do it in the context of a love relationship with him. He'll show us the next step and he wants us to trust him for the next step, the next step, the next step. It's not so much about us finding a plan as much as it is about us following a person. That's how God wants to unfold his plan for us. But, but how do we try to engage in that with him? What does it take on our part to be able to know and to understand this plan that God has for us? And that's what I want us to take a little bit of time to unpack here this morning. What is it going to take on my part to begin to unpack that? We're going to look at a couple of verses from the very beginning of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And the way I want to unpack this is I actually want to look at the end of the verse first because it talks about the outcome and then I want us to go back to the beginning because at the very beginning of these two verses, Paul talks about what are the prerequisites? What are the things that need to be increasingly true in my life if I'm gonna be able to experience the outcome that God intends for me? 
And here's the end of the verse. It says then. That word there, then, meaning a result. The result of what comes before is this. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that right there, that's what we want, isn't it? We want to know, that's kind of the, that's kind of the blueprint. That's kind of the, the roadmap there. We want to be able to know what that next step is. What is it that God wants us to do next? Where does he want me to go? His will. His will that's good because it comes from a God who's good. And even if it doesn't always feel good, even if sometimes it's scary or we don't understand what's going on, his will for us is good. And it's pleasing in that it brings pleasure to him as he walks with us and he sees us respond to him in obedience. It pleases him. And his will, it says, is perfect. There's no oops with God. God doesn't make oops. He is perfect in all that he does. Now with us, we got some oops. We got some oops going on in our life. But even God can use that to weave into our story, to get us back on track, and to continue to use us for his greater plan in the world. But that's what we want. We want to be able to get to that place where we can test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But now we're going to jump back to what were those prerequisites that we talked about? If this is the intended result, that we'd be able to understand the will of God, what are the things that need to be true in my life? If that's going to be a possibility for me. And then we're going to look back at the whole of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And here's what the scripture says. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're gonna unpack the three commands that Paul gives us there in Romans 12, one and two. But before we do that, I want us to take a little bit of time and look at that one simple word, therefore. This chapter starts with the word, therefore. And whenever you're reading your Bible, this is a simple Bible study tool, Bible Bible study, inductive Bible study method. Whenever you see that word, therefore, there's a question that needs to always go off in your mind. And that question is this, what is the therefore, therefore? Because it's, it's a connecting word. It's saying, in light of what I've said before, this needs to be the response. And so we've got to understand, what is it that comes before if we're going to understand how we are to respond? Well, what came before was the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul very clearly, very articulately, and very passionately explains this big story that I'm talking about of what God is doing in the world to bring people that are far from him back into a relationship with him through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The big story of the gospel. And here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, therefore, in light of what God has done for you in Christ, this needs to be your response. And the first thing he says is this, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now the audience that Paul's writing to here, it's a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles, but both of these, both of these groups of people would understand the Jewish sacrificial system. So when he's using that imagery of sacrifice, this is what's coming to their mind. They're thinking about, especially if you were a Jewish boy, you're thinking about that little lamb that you raised from the time that he was only this big. 
and you fed him with a bottle and you raised him and he was perfect in every way. But then your dad comes to you and he says, it's time for us to go to the temple. And you take that little sheep and you walk him, however the distance is to the temple, every step walking with him knowing when you get there, you're gonna take this little lamb, this perfect lamb, and you're gonna hand him to the priest. And the priest is gonna slit his throat and spill his blood for the payment of sin. This little lamb is gonna pay the ultimate sacrifice, giving everything as a payment for sin. This is the imagery, this imagery of sacrificing everything. But Paul says we're not to be that kind of a sacrifice. We're to be a living sacrifice. Not to give our life, but to lay our life down. That we would be the kind of people that would throw our arms wide open and just say, God, my life belongs to you. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to you. You call the shots. Whatever you want for me, God, the answer is yes. That's the picture that Paul is giving. When that becomes our heart, when our heart is, God, I want your will, I want your plan more than I want my life itself, it's in that place that we're gonna become to the place where we can understand and begin to see more clearly what it is that God wants for us. When we're at the place where no matter what the question is from God, our answer is yes. God doesn't reveal the beauty of his will, the pearls of his will, the pearls of his plan for you for our consideration. It's not like he hands that to us and we look at it and go, nah, I don't know, what else you got? God reveals his plan to us when he knows that our heart is at a place where we're willing to respond in obedience to him. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. The next thing Paul says is he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Every day that you walk through life, you are being influenced by things around you. You're being influenced in how you think, how you think about yourself, how you think about other people, how you think about God. There are all kinds of things that are bombarding you every day. That kind of the picture that comes to my mind is like our life is kind of like this piece of Play-Doh right there. And I mean more than just the fact that it's kind of pasty white. But that we are moldable. We're moldable as we walk through life. And there are influences that are constantly poking and prodding on us. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, ask yourself, what are the things that are leaving their imprints on my life? What are the things that are shaping my life? Are they influences and things that are making me more like Christ in my life? Are there things in my life that are influencing me that make me more like the world? I love the J.B. Phillips paraphrase of this verse. It says, don't let the world force you into its mold. Don't, isn't that a great picture? Don't let the world force you into its mold. This picture, don't let the world be the shaping force in your life, but instead, let God be the one that shapes our life. And here's the thing, oftentimes I, I hear people when they think, I, I don't want the world to influence my life, and so what they do is they kind of get this protectionist mentality, that I'm gonna wall myself off from all things in the world. I'm gonna build bigger walls around my life, bigger walls around my family to protect me from the world around me. And I think there's a danger there because I think when we have that kind of a mentality of disengaging 
from the things of the world, disengaging from culture. We miss the opportunity that God has for us to be salt and light in this world to people that desperately need to know who he is and what he's like and how they can have a relationship with him. Friends, I don't think that this isolation is the answer. I think there's a different solution that God has for it, and it's the next command that Paul gives us. It's not isolation, it's transformation. It's not about isolating ourselves from the world, but living transformed lives in the world. And then Paul talks about how do we have that kind of a transformed life? He said, be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. That our mind would be renewed as we spend time with our Father, as we spend time in his word, letting our mind be shaped by the things that are true about God from his word, the things that are true about us from his word, spending time engaging with him and talking with him and hearing from him about our life and the things that he wants us to do, that actually has the effect of transforming our life. Instead of having the world's fingerprints, we put ourselves in God's hands and we begin to get God's fingerprints all over our life. And he's the one that shapes us, shapes us into something that can go into the world and make a difference for him the same way that Jesus did. He didn't disengage, he didn't isolate, but he lived a transformed life in the midst of the culture. So the prerequisites that Paul talks about is he says to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This picture of complete surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Whatever you say, the answer is yes. And then he says, don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't let the voices of other people, the expectations of other people, the voice of the enemy, don't let that be the thing that shapes your life, but let the voice of the Father be the transforming voice in our life that renews our mind and actually begins to change us from the inside out as God goes into the deep places and the dark places in us and the hard things and begins to change us and make us more like Christ. That's what he's inviting us into, hearing from him in that way. But here's the $100 question. How do we learn to engage with the Father in that way? How do we get to the place where we're truly in his presence, hearing from him and responding to him in obedience? How do we get to the place where we could say like Jesus did, I only do what the Father tells me to do. What I see the Father doing, that's the only thing that the Son does. Apart from Him, I can do nothing. I'm only doing those things. And as I wrote this sermon, uh, I got to this place and as I began to try to unpack that question of hearing from the voice of God, there were just so many things that were bubbling up in my heart and there was just an idea here and an idea here and a practical thing here and a practical thing there. And by the time I got done, I just felt like I had this mountain of stuff. And I just thought, what am I going to do to these poor people? Am I going to try to just ugh, huck this on them? There just wasn't enough time. And so I began to go back to the Father and just say, God, if I had to just choose, God, what would be a couple things that I could leave them with that would get them started down this road if they're not already there of hearing from you and responding to your voice? And here's the things that bubbled up in my spirit. The first one was this. Would you make space in your life to hear from God? Just that simple thing. Would you make space in your life to hear from God? Would you think about how you could intentionally carve out time to hear from him? And I know this is a challenge with most people. 
I just, I can't tell you the number of times in ministries you're talking with people and asking them about what is your, what are your times with God look like? You know, and they kind of look, oh man, I just wish you wouldn't have asked me that question. But it's like, you know, I'm, I'm just so busy. I don't have time. I'm busy. I don't have time. But you know, as I've reflected on that, I really don't think it's so much an issue of time as it is an issue of motivation. Do we really believe if I get really serious about carving out that time, will God show up? Will he be there? Will he speak to me? Will he reveal his plan to me? Friends, I've got to answer that question with yes, but I know what it's gonna take. It's gonna take perseverance and discipline in your life. And here's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about what would it be like if the next time someone just said, I don't have time. I wonder if I was able to do this, wouldn't it be fun to say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I believe so much that this will be helpful to you and your intimacy with the Father and your ability to be able to hear from him. If you will just set aside one hour in the morning over the next year, that you will take time to hear from God in his word. Begin to journal and write down all the things that God is saying to you and getting an action plan from him and the things that he's asking. If you'll do that for one hour a day for the next year, I'll give you $10 million. I just have this hunch that suddenly a lot of people are gonna be finding a whole lot of time in our life. And we kind of chuckle about that and we just think, yeah, for $10 million, I bet I, could, I bet I could eke out an hour in the morning. But let's just step back a little bit and think about the implications of that. What are we saying about that in terms of how we would answer that? What is it that we value in life more? What do I want? What do I think are the answers to my problems? Do I think that the answer to my problems in life, do I think the solution to things in life is the hunger of my life, God, or is it stuff? Is it the things of this world? What is it that I really want? Do I want God or do I want the world? And the more that I began to reflect on this, the more humbling it became to me. Because I began to just take a little bit of time to think about the invitation that's been given to you if you're a follower of Christ and the God of the universe is inviting you to spend time with him, to hear from him. Just think, this is the, like I said, the God of the universe. The God who holds everything in his hand. The God who just simply by the power of his voice flung everything into existence that is created. That kind of power. And this kind of God, he wants to be intimate and personal with you. Like I said earlier, he knows you. He knows everything that's going on in your life. And he cares about you. He cares so much and he loves you so much that he was willing to send his only son to die in your place so that you could have a relationship with him that's gonna last forever. This incredibly powerful God, this incredible loving God. And when we think about it, I just think the only reason that I'm even existing right now is because he allows it to happen. The only reason I have my next heartbeat is because he allows it. The only reason I'm able to take my next breath is because God has allowed it. And he invites me into time with him and I'm gonna look at my watch and say, God, I'm too busy right now. I just began to think, Lord, I need a better perspective. God, I want you more than I want the things of this world. And isn't it amazing that God wants that too? He wants you. 
He wants you just to spend time with him, not for his sake. He doesn't need you. He is completely sufficient in and of himself. He doesn't need you, but he wants you to come to him so that he can pour his life into you. I want to look at a story, and this is from the Gospels, and this is a story that's probably familiar to many of you, the story of Mary and Martha, because I think it just, in a picture, kind of captures the heart of the Father and what he really wants from us. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Just think about that picture for a second. Mary, she just sat there. She just sat there. She was just listening to what the Lord had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. If Jesus had a choice to have you work for him, or to just sit at his feet, hands down. He says, just sit at my feet. Just listen to me. And it doesn't mean that he's dismissing or negating the kingdom responsibility that he gives us. But it's when we sit at the feet of the Father, when we sit at the feet of Jesus, that we have the power and the resources and the perspective and the marching orders to do everything that God has called us to do. Friends, there's some of us probably that we need to stop working for God and just spend more time with God. Spend less time working for God and spend more time being with him. Carve out time to be with him. And the second thing that came to mind when I was thinking about what to leave my friends with was this. When we carve out that time, if we're able to get time with him, do our level best to give God our full attention. And I understand this can be an incredibly challenging thing in this fast-paced world that we live in. But when Jesus was teaching his disciples on how to engage with the Father, here's the instruction that he gave them in Matthew chapter 6. But when you pray, go into your room. And sometimes that word room is translated closet, meaning a small space, a small space, a quiet place away from the distractions of life. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. What's the reward? What's the reward that we're going to find when we carve out time, when we remove the distractions of life, and we go into our closet and we pray? What's the reward? It's not answers to our prayers. You may get answers to your prayers to your prayers, but the reward, my friends, the reward is God himself. God wants to pour out his life into you. He wants to pour out his presence into you and into your life. But that can be challenging because there are so many voices that are competing for our attention in this world. There are so many things that are distracting to us. If you want to hear from God, you've got to get to a place where you can turn off the distractions in life. You forgot that I was even up here, didn't you? But isn't that just a little bit like life? 
You can have all the intention in the world. I'm gonna carve out time. I'm gonna be with God. And then life just keeps coming at you. You know, I was telling my wife, I just said, I'm gonna try to do this thing where I kind of create distractions to try to make a point. And her response was kind of humorous to me. She said, well, if you want distractions, you better run about 10 kids up on that stage because that's the thing that causes lots of distractions in life. And we love our kids, but just think about it, all the things that come in your life when you've got kids and family. Life is coming at us incredibly, incredibly fast. And that's why we've got to be so rigorous and so disciplined and persevere in carving out time and getting intentional about finding a place where we can hear from God. For me personally, I had to get to the place where I get up at about 5.30 in the morning to find that place where there aren't the distractions of life. Because if I wait until the day starts, there's just too many things coming at me. I've got to be in that quiet place where I can hear from God. You know, best, one of my best friends, every, not every day, but a lot of days when he's at work, he just steps out from lunch and he goes into the cab of his pickup and he just sits there away from the hustle and bustle of the office and he just sits there and he talks with God and he listens to God and he gets his marching orders for the rest of the day. His friends at work might think he's crazy because he's in his car talking to himself, but he's hearing from God and if you talked with him, he'd say, it's transformational in my life. It's the highlight of my day. But friends, we've got to get intentional. We've got to figure out how do we carve that out and how do we remove the distractions in our life. Friends, I want to do one thing before we leave, and I want to do the best job that I can right now to create just a small space for you, a small opportunity for you to quiet down your life and just to hear from the voice of God this morning. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Right there where you're sitting, if you have a notes page, I want you to grab that out. If you don't have something to write on, you can grab one of those cards on the chair back in front of you and something to write with. You can type it in your phone, any kind of electronics that you have. But I want you to have something to write with. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Over the next several minutes, we're just going to make this our closet. Now I realize that this is a big closet. This is a walk-in closet. My wife would love this closet. But we're gonna try to make a closet here and an opportunity for you to just quiet your heart and to quiet your mind. And I want you to just ask the Lord one simple question. And the question is this, God, what do you wanna talk to me about? God, what do you want to talk to me about? And then over the next several minutes, just as things come to your mind, as God brings things to the surface of your spirit, I just want you to write those things down. What are the things that are grabbing my attention? And I don't want you to think about screening those things. Just write down all the things that come to your mind. What is grabbing your attention right now? And here's what I want you to do with that list after today, when this is over. I want you to think about carving out time to spend with him. And I want you to start asking God some questions about those issues in life that are rising to the surface of your attention. I want you to ask him, God, what do you want to say to me about those? God, what would you want to speak to me about those? But not just, God, what do you want to say? God, what do you want me to do? What would be the next step of obedience that I could take in light of what you're saying to me? And that this would begin this process in your life of beginning to hear from God and taking steps of obedience so that there would be a place in your life where you could say just like Jesus did, I only do the things that the Father is telling me to do. Let's just take some time in quiet now.
just with my friends we want to come humbly before you and say that we we want you we want you more than anything else in this world and we want to hear your voice we think that your voice is the only voice that we want to hear Lord would you help us God would you help us to drown out those other voices in our life we want to hear the truth that comes from you. We want to be able to respond to you. God, it is just incredibly humbling to think that the God of the universe wants and desires time with his children. Lord, because you don't need it. You are completely sufficient. But Lord, that you delight in engaging with us and engaging our hearts. And Lord, thank you that you want to use us in your mission. You want us to be a part of what you're doing in the world. But you want us more than anything to be dependent people, Lord. And so today we just declare our dependence upon you. God, we need you more than anything. God, would you speak? Speak loudly into our hearts, Lord. And we just want to say that we are ready to obey. We love you. In Christ's name.